you're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about albums that we think are unsung classics, and then you guys tell us if you're right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Thanks, David. Anytime. <laughs> How are you today, David? I'm fine. I'm really tired. I'm I'm four out of ten hungover. I'm sleepy. Uh, I've got a lot to do. What did you do last night that made you hungover? It's our work night out. Oh right, okay. So, and then I don't really drink that much anymore. But I I also went to the commercial hotel in Allness, which is where I learned to drink. Um, on Saturday night. Because I went home to Allness and me and my couple of pals took one of my pals' little sister there because she'd never been there before. That sounds took, creepy already. Took a dark turn. <laughs> no, I know, but like her older sister is one of the pals that we went with, so that's fine. It's just a truly me, terrible... come with the pub with me? It was truly... I mean, I had a nice time because I was with good people, but... So it used to be the last songs that the calm would play on every Saturday night would be um, that song, I've had the time of my life. Is that from Flashdance? or from Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. Yeah. And then it would be Loch Lomond uh, by Runrig. You have something in common for Saturday night then, which I'll share with you when you're done. Excellent. <laughs> well, they have changed that now, and the final three songs at the com on Saturday night were... Meshuggah? No. Third last was Jerry Cinnamon, She's a Belter. Hmm. Oh. Uh, so Jerry Cinnamon has made it to the Highlands. Second last was a dance remix of Louis Capaldi. And then last was a band called... Tidelines. I don't know if you've ever heard Tidelines. Uh-huh. No. They're a sort of Tuchter version of Father Son. Mm. I thought Father Son were a Tuchter version of Father Son. No, uh, they, they like speak in a, a broad Russian accent like that and they talk about, and this song's about, I was in love with a Highland girl. And my goodness me. It's a fucking hellscape up there, isn't it? It was dark times. Dark times, truly. Yeah, so that was my Saturday. Uh, I'm curious, you learned to drink there? Well, it was the first ever pub I went to. Mm -hmm. So you were slowly honing your technique. Yeah. (laughs) Good man. You know, you've got to perfect something that will be as integral in my life as drinking has been. Yeah, and then you threw it to the side. 
mm-hmm. like like meat. Exactly. Like meat. Mm-hmm. I know. Uh, Mark, my Saturday night was not really a matter for discussion here. <laughs> <laughs> my Sunday night over oh, yeah. is exactly a matter for discussion here, which was going to the Electric Frog Festival in Glasgow, which is an electronic festival that happens once a year next to the river, which is why it's also known as a Riverside Festival. I mean, that was awful. Um, I was lured there on the promise of seeing John Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, admittedly, I did leave it a little bit late in the day. He was due to come on about half nine, so I went down there for half seven. Yeah. I thought, I'll pick up bits and bobs at some of the other stages and see what's happening, because I'm a reasonably new to electronic music, maybe only yeah. really properly started getting into it since I started the band maybe like the last three four years maximum mm-hmm. so you know I, I used to be very alienated by it uh, and that festival confirmed all of my previous <laughs> bigotry <laughs> against it uh, it was literally just a, a mulch of 120 BPM drops and occasionally the odd interest in high-end synth you know arpeggiated thing would happen and then it would just be all squashed out when the kick came in and everything was just 120 thud 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 and it, the whole thing was incredibly tedious mm-hmm. but piled on top of that was Scottish summertime mm-hmm. which was horizontal rain like rain so so hilariously heavy that all you could do was stand there laughing <laughs> <laughs> and I was wearing like a jacket a heavy shirt a long sleeve top and I was soaked right through and my trousers which were jeans were so heavy I could barely keep them up and it was just ridiculous I didn't even make it to John Hopkins I saw about an hour and 45 minutes of garbage music mm-hmm. I got a pint of curling poured down my shirt oh. by accident but you know yeah. same effect and I went home and I was so cold on the way home that I couldn't even switch my phone on it was literally I couldn't I didn't have the dexterity to press a giant button that switched my <laughs> phone on and, and the, at the end of May Mm-hmm. And it, the whole thing just uh, made me very, very bitter towards life in general. Mm. And I mean, like all life, yeah, human all life, life, animal life, plant life. Yeah. You know, I mean, I understand. I mean, it doesn't sound like the best live introduction to electronic music that you could have had. It wasn't a good thing that happened. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Well, maybe I'll try and take you to something that you will enjoy one day. We can go for it. <laughs> Seems like a threat when you say Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I will truly make you have a nice time. Uh, how are you, how are Mark? you Mark? <laughs> yeah, so I, I, my dad's like... Do you ever get the feeling that Mark just asks you stuff because he's wanting his fishing for us to ask? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I was at my dad's 60th party party Saturday night. It was a very lovely time. Great. And the last song played of the night was Lock Lomond. Lock Lomond. Oh, look at that. Fucking Chukta Rugby, wasn't it? Hey, mate. Oh, my God. Well, it's Glasgow Warrior. It's not still it's rugby. Chukta Band. I mean, I, I did say on Facebook that I was watching the uh, middle class guys toss an egg around, and that's basically exactly what it is. So. Well, I know at least two listeners right now that will be ripping their headphones out of their ears and <laughs> hailing a taxi to come here and batter us. Fortunately, we'll be gone. <laughs> Whatever this is. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Benella and Costello, mm. I don't care for your sport. Nor do I, and I just watched a whole 40 minutes, then eight, eight minutes of it, 80 minutes of it. See, I was so fucking drunk, I didn't even know how long it was going for. It felt like it went on forever. I couldn't remember a time when I wasn't in Celtic Park. Yeah, for listeners abroad, rugby is like American football, but not for prima donna pussies in <laughs> serious body armour. Played by men. It's played by real obnoxious middle class men who will kick you in pubs and have giant puffy ears mm-hmm. and huge calf muscles and a fondness for Guinness. Um, it's just an output for 
public school kids that have too much testosterone, really. Mm. You know, guys that won't make it to the to the banking sector. Bit of a film mood, so let's just keep winding up <laughs> sections of our audience. That's all the electronic music fans done. That's all the rugby fans done. What else can we go for? I, th- I don't uh, know. What about Weezer uh, fans? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah. Damn it, you stole my line. <laughs> uh, Mark, what are we doing today? Uh, we have I have picked I say we but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put this burden on you guys. Uh, I have picked the White Album by Weezer. Yay! More yeah. white guys with guitars. Yes. So I am, I am going to be honest. I did not. If you'd asked me to guess how many albums Weezer had, I'd, I would have said nine. Yeah, I would have said maybe seven or eight. Yeah, uh, I was wow astonished. And as you know, it meant I had to listen to all of them. Thirteen, technically fourteen if you count Death to False Metal, I, I which didn't. is not like it. <laughs> definitely so. didn't. Um, but Death to False Metal it, it not a, an album then? It's a collection it's of B sides. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. It's got a really really bad cover of Unbreak My Heart on it by Tony Braxton. Yeah. But um, don't worry, thirteen <laughs> was more than enough. Yep. Better or worse than Electro Festival? Uh, I, well, I mean... Slightly the, more variation The Electro Festival maybe. was like a short, sharp shock. Whereas listening to 13 albums of Weezer is like, admittedly, like an undulating thing. It goes from fantastic highs to abysmal lows. Oh, yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll chart exactly where those lows lie. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, first off... I mean, people must have heard of Weezer, right? We don't, we don't have yeah, to. Yeah, so spend- I mean, this is a big one. This is a big band that we are mm-hmm. covering. Um, everybody's got opinions on Weezer, yep. even even if your opinion is I don't give a shit. Yeah, but even your, you know, your mainstream auntie will have heard Beverly Hills. Uh, you know, your Buddy Holly, Hashbite, exactly songs like that. Um, I should- actually met one person who hadn't heard any Weezer songs. That's that's pretty incredible. That's pretty that weird. Yeah. yeah, that's almost unbelievable. But no, it is it's true. I'm not going to stick a name in it, but uh, just yesterday. Interesting. Yeah. I was very, very bemused by it. And I was like, I mean, you heard Island in the Sun then, right? Yeah. No. Weird. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, they're like the gods of American pop rock, really, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, uh, I should probably preface this entire discussion by saying that not by any means saying the White Album is the best Weezer record. Yeah. Okay, I mean, do you need to get that out of there right now? No, it's not the name of this podcast. Yeah, it's not the name of this podcast, but I think sometimes people will listen or don't listen and just vote. <laughs> <laughs> listen and go, oh, but that, but what about this other record? Well, need to be frank, I suppose, and say that there is absolutely no way that the first four Weezer records are ever going to make it into any discussion we have in this podcast because they're so big. I mean, I, I disagree with it. <laughs> Straight off the bat, I think the first two... Uh, and the first two are unanimously held up as being their favorite, their best, because uh, I was looking at their kind of, I watched a series of videos, read a series of articles, you know, the ranker articles where they're like putting their albums in order, best to worst, worst to best, whatever. And every single one of those uh, had the first two albums, which is the Blue Album, their first album, and Pinkerton, the second album, in one or the other of the first two spots. Mm-hmm. Strangely, every single one of those articles had the White Album at number three. Really? Every single one. That's like, I, I watched and read quite a few and they all had the White Album as the third. 
So we'll talk about that second. That as, was as, curious because I didn't see that coming. Yeah, and I didn't see that coming. I'm not either. trying to play my hand here, but I was like, "All right, okay, interesting." Um, I think the Green Album, albeit it sold very, very well, is when you look at the way, where it comes in those lists, it's usually quite far down, like six or seven out of thirteen. And I think Maladroit or Maladroit, but I think it's French, right? Maladroit. Mm-hmm. It didn't sell well at all. Whereas not compared to n- yeah, Green Records. Green, no, but it has some outstanding songs in it, and mm-hmm. it's they're probably one of their heaviest and yeah, darkest albums. think it's kind of overlooked a little bit and that tended to appear in those lists because it's underrated Uh so aye my experience of them is not quite what you said there although I do agree that their first period up to album number four is sort of seen as being like a kind of fairly consistently very good period don't get me wrong there's there's a huge gap in quality between Pinkerton and Green Album but it's like a different it's a completely different band they'd officially broken up and and that period and come back together it's a not even not only just a different band, but River's entire approach to writing songs had changed like vastly. This and is, it still echoes to this day. I'm gonna be an outlier here as well, though. I think the Green album is fucking tremendous. I think it's great. I, think I like it as well. I listen to the Green album a lot more than either of the first two albums. It's very short. It's the first time I liked Bits and Bobs of Weezer. I really like a couple of the songs in the first album. Obviously, you can't really not like Say It Ain't So. It's just such a fucking tremendous bit of music. Likewise, Pinkerton, I think, is probably a slightly better album, but the Green album has more songs in it that I like. And I think it's odd to hear it so kind of dismissed, I think, because I, I think I just think it's superb. But um, it was fairly well received when it came out, though. Absolutely. I think. Yeah, yeah but it was, it was well received as a kind of comeback album, but then critically it's sort of cooled. I mean, it's interesting we were talking about Unsung, right? Because Weezer had their Unsung moment because when Pinkerton, their second album, came out, it was critically slammed yeah. in a number of places. Like yeah. it, it received very lukewarm reviews at best. And didn't sell nearly as well as they hoped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was only retrospectively that it acquired this cult status and has now ballooned to the point where it frequently appears above the blue album mm-hmm. as as their their finest moment and that's really interesting because yeah because i think if we were rec- doing this rec doing this podcast even 10 12 years ago we could have chosen pinkerton Absolutely. because it mm-hmm. was yeah. underrated then and totally but now it is you feel green came rated. out like rivers like actively hated playing songs on that record because the reaction was so bad like it destroyed his confidence, which is why the band stopped writing music. Why he stopped writing music for so long? Well, stopped 
recording and releasing music for so long that he, he did not stop writing music as 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 evidenced on on a lot of the solo stuff that he released the sort of mixtapes the alone series yeah apparently um, he had 200 uh kind of fully worked demos before they chose the songs for green yeah mm. and then after that they, they recorded a whole other album uh, off the back of a whole bunch of songs they played at this the subsonic festival in japan and then mallard right happened or mallard what happened and that's it i mean they can come down to that soon i suppose but he became a different person fundamentally I think, and that's why the music changed so much. And I think Green's a great album. It's how I got into the band as well. Like Green was the first record I heard. And I was like, fuck, this band is really good. Then I heard Pinkerton. I was like, okay, this is kind of the band that are making the waves that I always imagined. A lot of people always said, we are made. Mm-hmm. But he hated that record for so long. And it was not until the mid-2000s that he actually started picking up those songs and playing them again live. And there's even some instances over the course of the past 10, 15 years where he's... Red album period, for example, he's let like let other members of the band sing those songs. Mm-hmm. I think he's got a really tough relationship with that record because of the critical slamming that it got. He wrote that album twice. You know, he wrote the songs from the black hole, and then it wasn't what he thought it was going to be, like the concept album. I don't know if you know about it. The concept yeah, album, yeah. songs mm-hmm. from the black hole, which is for people who don't know, is he like was yeah. studying contemporary classical music at the time. Yeah, he wanted to write like a rock opera kind of modern weird concept mm-hmm. record yeah and has since you can listen to it on youtube now a lot of it's been released on his on his solo recordings and it's nowhere near as good as pinkerton there's some great songs on it that were never that were, they've never been released but it's not anywhere near as good as pinkerton i think he made a good choice there i think a lot of fans are probably wanting to kill me for saying that i think that's the case and then he moved on to you know i'm gonna get a total do and he just fucked off and went back to college which he didn't even fully finish until 2008 anyway so he was just kind of Floating around and yeah Oh well, yeah because in the back In 96 when Pinkerton came out It seemed like Weezer were this Like flash in the pan Like first album was great Second album got slammed That's mm-hmm. that band They only had one good album You know and that's probably How he saw it Until they managed to kind of Summon up the The enthusiasm To to come back in 2001 For Green uh, What we can agree on Is that they went off a cliff As of album number 5 Make Believe Absolutely, right. no and, doubt about and it. We will absolutely plow into that. I think well, I don't want to miss the opportunity to, to point out though that Weezer are a really interesting band. Mm-hmm. Their Rivers Cuomo is actually probably one of the few figures that could rival Dave Grohl in terms of Nexus potential or start to get close. He's an incredibly networked guy. He's also so he's also very princey in the sense that he's still a total mystery as a person. Yeah, he is. He's, uh, Rivers Cuomo is the guy that there was always rumours that he wouldn't let, he told his crew to not let people look at him in the eye backstage at concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all kinds of like weird diva-esque uh, mythology around him that you, you know, I don't know maybe they encouraged it maybe it's true maybe it's sort of got one foot in the truth I'm not sure I can back up one of those stories almost kind of a, a little bit um, one of my favourite bands is a band called The Fatliners and um, our podcast my old podcast I interviewed the singer Chris a couple of times I've known Chris for a, a good few years and when they signed to Rise Records Can I just stop you for a second? Mm-hmm. You said your old podcast Yeah Have you told her she's dumped yet? Yeah. <laughs> she's still phoning I think she knows It may come back We'll talk about that another time I suppose oh. But um, on, on your third record On the fourth Flatliners record um, They signed to Rise Records They got they got opportunity to With Weezer In North America They're a really hard working band of Flatliners anyway So getting getting an opportunity like that Was huge and not once did, they, did anybody from Weezer speak to the band over the whole like month they were on tour. 
And apparently it's like that with like all like bands that like support, which is like a total. It's odd, but total it's also thing. the whole band. It's not just him, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of strange. Yeah. Um, but Weezer, what, they formed in 1992 in Los Angeles. It's primarily Rivers Cuomo, uh, Patrick Wilson, the drummer, uh, Brian Bell, the guitarist, who's more or less the original guitarist, the original guitarist, left very early on mm. signed like an NDO wasn't allowed to speak about why he'd left apparently yeah. but um, Jason Cropper yeah but Brian Bell's more or less their long term guitarist like we said Blue Album 1994 the track Buddy Holly was featured in Windows 95 which made it really really ubiquitous everybody knows it it's a total indie disco like staple yeah. it also had a legendary music video it's true yeah, yeah by Spike a really Jones. well done sort of mashup of uh, Happy Days yeah, their music videos have all like, particularly in the early days, were always a big part of what made them iconic and well known. Undone the sweater songs in a really good video, and that's also Spike Jones, a single shot of just like them playing in a kind of poorly lit yeah, audio like one take thing stage, and yeah, one take. Well, apparently, one of the dogs shot in Patrick Wilson's kick drum, mm-hmm. uh, kick pedal during that that scene. That was later re- recreated by uh, the band for. Uh, the t- for Africa, the Africa video. Just the shit on the kick pedal. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Weird Weird Yankovic being, uh, being Rivers and yeah. Um, so Weezer have, I think to date, about 10.2 million sales in the US and 35 million worldwide. As we said, Pinkerton kind of flopped. That was their follow-up album in 1996. So we're not going to kind of dwell too much on them because most of the interesting stuff with Weezer comes after this point. 2001 is a green album that I mentioned. I really like it. There's one interesting point I want to bring up is like a lot of people, particularly the diehard Weezer fans, attribute the excellent songwriting of the first two records to Mash Up mm-hmm. as being a co-writer. The basis. Which is why, mm-hmm. another reason why people think it's a conspiracy because that's why they changed because he was no longer involved, which is really strange. They're still friends to this day. It's yeah, he, really, took, the, he really took them to court thing. for songwriting royalties, but also they've stayed friends because him and Rivers have done a couple of appearances together. Yeah. Uh, you know, Pinkerton was voted one of the worst albums in 1896 by the <laughs> by the readers of Rolling Stone as well. Not just not just like the journalists who you're like, okay, they go off and one, they get that kind of hipster thing of like following the trend. No, but by the readers, voted one of the worst albums in 96. So, you know... Mad joke. Uh, Weezer's first ever show was closing, closing for Dogstar. I can understand <laughs> opening for a band, but how do you, if you close for a band, it's where they're on tour and they're like, no, nah, we don't want to go on last. We want yeah, to go and get I smashed. So you, you guys can close for us. It's your first gig. That sounds like a real dick move by Dogstar. <laughs> it's like Keanu Reeves doesn't want to go on last. You boys, is it your first show? You boys go on last. Keanu wants to go to get a shower. Just weird because Keanu's maybe such a nice guy. But um, yeah, uh, Buddy Holly is a standout song. Say It Ain't So for me is the best song from their early career um, and kind of its counterpart, El Scorcho, on I think Pinkerton. From the Blue Album, for me, it's the last song. Only in dreams. dreams, yeah. yeah. Only in dreams yeah, is probably is a my, great track. my favorite song from that period. And I just, I really, Pink Triangle as well was fucking great. There's just something about my name is Jonas that I love. I love the blue 
album and it's got such a crunchy guitar sound but then it's got like the acoustic over the top that just works really yeah. well Rick Okasik of The Cars mm-hmm. I think mm. recorded that and he would return one more time for an album later in their career mm-hmm. The Cars an unsung band I would say yeah Is it the keyboard player mm. from that band was also originally an Iron Maiden I believe so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in 1998 Interesting fact, Weezer played a bunch of shows as a band uh, under the name Goat Punishment. Goat Punishment. Uh, only doing Nirvana and Oasis covers. <laughs> it's just like the most fucking, it's the most, we, it's the most Rivers thing ever. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, and also around about that time, Rivers Como painted all the walls of his house black and put uh, black fiberglass over his windows after like a period of like really bad depression. The 2001, the Green Album, they were joined by a bassist called Mikey Welsh. And Mikey Welsh didn't last very long in mm-hmm. the band. He had mental health issues and was admitted to an institution, I believe, and was replaced by Scott Schreiner, who's stayed since. Um, for any Game of Thrones fans, I have a feeling personally that Bran was warging back to tell Mikey Welsh how make-believe was going to sound. <laughs> <laughs> and that drove him insane. <laughs> Um, but since Mikey Welsh died 10 years later, I probably shouldn't make a joke about yeah, that. probably not. Yeah, maybe I'll... Cut that, out. <laughs> cut that out. Maybe not. I don't know. How edgy do you want this podcast? <laughs> yeah. But ever since then, there's been a lot of interesting things. Like on, on the Green Album Tour, Rivers went missing in Amsterdam, like randomly. Everyone thought he died. I remember reading about it in the news, like Rivers Cuomo missing, presumed dead. It's like, and then he came back in a big, a big interview in Crang, like with a massive beard and massive hair, looking pure, like a wild man. Grizzly Adams. Explaining exactly what happened. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rivers is a pretty interesting guy in general. Very interesting Um, guy, yeah. Born in an ashram in Connecticut, like Mm -hmm. a kind of Indian religious settlement, really into meditation and yoga. Visaprana. Visaprana meditation, I think it is. I think that's some, the one. Some of that, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah he's actually done a podcast about it. Has he? There's a, there's, a, there's a news anchor in America who's Buddhist and he does a Buddhist podcast and Rivers is on it and it's one of the most revealing interviews he's ever done because he just talked about like his meditation. I think it was after the Green Album he'd done, he, like, he completely abstained. Or after Pinkerton he from completely sex. abstained from sex. Until he met his wife. Until he met his wife, yeah. 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 Uh, his brother's called Leaves. Leaves Cuomo. Wow. Yeah. And he also, at one point, when he was younger, he went to LA and started a band that became called Zoom, I think. And he changed his name to Peter Kitts. There you go. K-I-T-T-S. Don't know where. I think Kitts was like his new, his stepdad's name or something like that. Mm. And I don't know. Anyway. He was also born with one leg, two inches short than the other. Yep, mm-hmm. he was. And between Blue Album and Pinkerton, had an operation to kind of break it and extend it. Yeah. And walked about with that kind of scaffolding thing on his leg for a long time. Uh, in 2009 as well, when his family and his management and stuff were on a bus, there was a crash on tour. 
and he ended up with shattered ribs and stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a very interesting character. He's uh, you'd classify him as an enigma. Yeah, I believe he's like the dweeb version of Prince. Yeah, as Mark said, yeah. he's like a really odd. Comes across as slightly unapproachable, but yeah, his lyrics are so kind of affable and sort of like naive and yeah. I I think an interesting thing is going back to uh, Blue Album and Pinkerton and seeing his lyrics and they're definitely pre woke as well. I think it's difficult to tell how ironic he's been in everything, anything and everything he does. Yeah, for, so, like far uh, across the sea is the the main one because he quoted verbatim lyrics from an eighteen year old Japanese girl that he had sent him a letter that he had like a total crush on just because of her uh, communiques. I, I mean, he, he, a lot of the later songs as well. I think like "Thank God for Girls" and like "Where Are All the Smart Girls" mm-hmm. and things like that. But "Thank God for Girls" is interesting. We'll talk about that. That's yeah, it's really fucking hard though to give Rivers Como a hard time for that when we've given Danny Brown near enough a pass for f- stuff that eclipses that and makes it look I mean any number of the hip hop things we've done make that look absolutely PG so I think we're being a little bit unfair if we start to ride him for that I, I, personally I, I don't I wouldn't because I don't th- I think it definitely was probably pre-woke in the mid-90s ever since then he's just been play- I think he just plays with people now I was talking to Dave before the podcast um, about how, like, if you ever followed him or ever see him on Instagram or on Twitter, like, on Instagram, he just reposts memes about himself. And on Twitter, he just quotes other people. And oh, yeah. He, like, mean, he, he, he likes, I think, just likes fucking with people, to I be love it's very tongue-in-cheek, no doubt. But even if it wasn't, man, even if it was completely, sincerely, like, a 30-year-old guy singing about how much he fancies an 18-year-old pen pal in Japan... That is literally a drop in the ocean compared to <laughs> so much stuff we've already spoken about in this show. We still play it. Like they did, they did, a, they did an NPR Tiny Desk concert earlier on this year and they played pretty much all new songs and Across the Sea. On fucking NPR it's, like the, fucking, it's a really good song as aye, well. The most liberal fucking place If you're thinking about Lyrical content man That's not where you would play that yeah, If, I mean, if you think about it that way I think we're really stretching yeah. If we're going to be offended by that Definitely definitely. I mean there's kind of like A few talking points with Weezer I mean I was amazed That fucking magazines Were even still reviewing Weezer I assumed their music Had become so redundant mm-hmm. And I admit that I'm ignorant Because the White Album I didn't realise it, it evoked such a reaction um, Even like stuff like Hurley and stuff did okay and I just assumed that it was a band that had fallen off most credible radars. Um, I know that I, I don't know if Pitchfork's reviewed their last few things. Pitchfork yep. very, very, hate them. very famously gave uh, the uh, Make Believe album zero point four out of ten, uh, and called it just awful. It's an ongoing thing. He's mentioned it in interviews as well. Like Pitchfork just fucking hate Weezer, and they always have done since that record. Even good records, if you want to talk yeah. about them as being good, they've just not been very favourable to. Well, I, think the, it's an ongo- I think it's an ongoing thing. I don't. I think at this point it's just ironic, to be honest. Yeah, it's maybe just yeah, it's sort of a meme in itself. Yeah. It's like I, I couldn't really see anything by Pitchfork for some of the later stuff anyway, so I assumed they just slipped off the grid. Yeah, that was that was odd to me that they were still a going concern in most people's worlds. I feel they maybe are one of those prime examples of a band that should probably just acquit while they were ahead. Yeah. But in saying that, 2016 when the White Album came out, so they've obviously, as people said, they've still got gas in the tank. Uh, I don't know if their last two efforts have kind of backed up though. <laughs> um, and they just seem like they jump around 
with a not a lot of real direction. They, they stylistically are pretty erratic. Some of that could be him because he's quite a creative guy. He's obsessed with pop music. He fucking loves Carly Rae Jepsen uh, and has made it very clear, not just in interviews, but in some of his actual writing. Yeah, I mean, okay, th- I mean, 13 albums. Uh, like, skip the first four. We spoke about them. And Maladroit... I think we need to talk about Maladroit a little bit because... Yeah, if you've not heard Maladroit, you should. It's It's got some really outstanding tunes. It's got a bit of filler, mm-hmm. but it's got some fucking great songs in it and a brilliant video that features the Muppets. It's also yeah, for gone fishing. It's mm, yeah. fucking great. It's also a proper fan service record as well. Like the fans named it. The fans were more, were kept up to date on the whole progress of the record. They could tune in the webcam studio, the webcam in the studio, and see what was going on. The, he sent fans like demos of the songs. Some of these demos end up getting played on radio when they were unfinished, mm-hmm. and they end up falling out of record label because of it. Yeah, the record label wouldn't wouldn't pay for it to get made, so they made it themselves. Yeah. I think Mad was a really interesting discussion point in their career because of that. That that was definitely the direction they've been going on ever since, like being very fan service you know, doing things which shows their fans how much they appreciate them. Well, they write about it a lot in some of the lyrics. There's, yeah. there's tunes where they're specifically apologising to their fans, saying, oh, sorry we wrote that album. We took you for granted. <laughs> like, mm. like, almost as bluntly as that. Mm. Definitely as bluntly as that, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But then you've got Make Believe. Which... Make Believe in 2005, which had the song of the single Beverly Hills on it. Number one in the United States. Number and it one, was, yeah. It was big in the UK. I remember it was like mainstream radio. I was working in a cafe that summer uh, just before I went to uni, I think. And uh, yeah, it was on fucking Radio 1 all the time. The album was given... Fucking such a bad song. album was given four stars by Q, four stars by Rolling Stone, and 9.3 out of 10 by IGN. <laughs> My Lord. I don't know what IGN is, but... Uh, IGN is a, a computer games review website. <laughs> there you go. Um yeah, I mean, there's a track with the track in it called This Is Such a Pity, which is almost like emo y, sexy mm-hmm. pop rock yeah. stuff. That track, We Are All On Drugs. You know what? I actually think that We Are All On Drugs. Could have been okay because the verse actually is like it's fun and it's silly, but the chorus is such a fucking non-event. I think per- I like the my favorite song of the record. Probably the only song I like in the record is "Perfect Situation" because it's so sincere and the, the video is really weird, and funny. Um, Weezer playing Weezer, Weez, yeah, Weezer playing Weez, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, I think it's I think it's a really good song and it's an example of what, when Rivers puts his mind to something, he's more than capable of writing a great pop song. And I was saying to Dave earlier on as well, and I'll say it again on a podcast because it's worth saying, is that every Weezer record's got one good song on it, even the shit ones, in my mm. opinion. Yeah, mm. well, you know, it depends how much you like Weezer, really. Yeah, yeah. One thing I'll say about Make Believe is that Rivers still sounds like Rivers, and I think that as the albums go on, that isn't always the case. Sometimes mm. it's produced to the point of being totally generic, and mm-hmm. yeah. the, the records really suffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Make Believe in 2008, they brought out the Red album, oh. uh, 
old school Weezer. Uh, you know, the Red Album's actually a pretty interesting album. It is interesting it's in the sense that they do different things on it. Yeah. Doesn't it always be pretty ambitious. It was a Greatest Man on Earth, Greatest, greatest Man, man that Ever Lived. Ever Lived. Is one of my favourite Weezer it's songs. Like, yeah, it's like a, a mini rock opera and it's, yeah. it's kind of fun, you know, it's maybe not as... It's actually broken down into parts as well. It's got the Slipknot part, which they call it the Slipknot part. It's got the Green Day part. <laughs> you know, it's got the Hymn part. That's the way when they're writing this, they broke it down into specific parts because that is like a that's like a rock opera. It's like cycling through different genres and stuff, and it is super ambitious. It's fun. Yeah. Um, Josh Freeze plays drums on it. That's is he on the whole record? Pat plays guitar on it. Doesn't play drums on it. <laughs> well, that, yeah, well, that was one of the records where he got the other band members to contribute more to the writing, and that's the only record where all three other band members sing as well. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a weird record in that it's not full of just filler. It's full of them trying weird things that don't work at all. <laughs> Not all of them don't Not work. Not all of them don't work, yeah, but yeah. I mean... It was it Angel and... Angel and the Ones. But it is at least ambitious, song, yeah. yeah uh, and Pork and Beans is fucking Pork excellent. Pork and Beans is a great song. I mean, that is like the most they sound like the Blue Album yeah. since the Blue Album. It's really good, really simple, and it's like a total classic single by them. Do you know the story behind that? What, what the song? Fucking Beans. They were asked, like, the record, they submitted the record to the record label and they were like, there's not a single on it. Oh, and they had to, re- yeah, he said it was like, too slow. Yeah, it's like, okay, I'll write you a single and then it was just basically slagging off singles. Yeah. It's I, thinking it was it. also, though, a demo that he had sitting about since an earlier album, so it does make you realise that he's got better demos sitting about than the stuff that's going on the yeah, records. absolutely. 2009, let's just get it over and done with Raditude. So, uh, I mean, I feel like you can f- kind of judge Weezer albums by their cover <laughs> it's got the best uh, fucking cover of most records like. <laughs> I mean at this point they are just fucking with everybody and it's like what are you doing it's fucking dire it is really bad um, this also marks a total change in direction for Rivers as a songwriter because from this point on he's collaborating mostly with other people on the records yeah he's writing very few of the songs himself got the album title from Rain Wilson yeah, I think they're good friends. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. They both seem like geeks. Best song on this record's the first one, and it's the only song they play live from it. It's pretty stinking. Yeah. It's not a good record. I like that first song, If You're Wondering If I Want You To, I Want You To. I think it's the best thing on the record. <laughs> But it's not a good record, man. It's a fucking dreadful album. Can't stop partying. It's got full fucking Lil Wayne on it. That is horrendous. Oh it, was a, it was a line about bitches. Yep. So like heads up, bitches, or something. It's Weezer. Put me back together. Weezer and Wheezy. Put me back together is actually a good song if it's All American Rejects or not a good band because it basically sounds like an All American Rejects song because it was written, co written by them. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> Weezer in this part, the stage of their career, when they're good, they're only good because they sound like a band in a reasonable version of Weezer. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yep. Yeah. 
uh, and the rest of the time they sound like Weezer doing a terrible version of already pretty average bands. Yeah. Um, 2010, they brought out Hurley. Still working with co-writers outside the band, although it's a better record. And it's, this is a rock co-writers record, so you've got Desmond Child, you know, you've got Linda Perry, you know, I've got all these well-known rock co-writers, and it sounds like that as well. You can totally hear that on it. Yeah, but I mean, Weezer don't need that. They don't need that. I don't know. I don't know why Rivers does it because the songs on this record that he wrote, of which are only two, "Memories," which is a a really good song for most bands. It's not a good Weezer song, but it's still a pretty decent song. Unspoken, which is the acoustic song, which has got the big ending, is actually quite an interesting Weezer song. But all the other stuff is like... I quite like Where's My Sex. I remember everybody hating that song when it first came out. I don't mind it, was, it. it was the first single, and everyone was like, "Have they lost the fucking plot here?" Yeah, no, I actually don't mind it. Although the cover of that record is fucking terrible. Uh, yeah, that's, that's one where they are truly just not giving a fuck, controlling yeah. everybody. Yeah, and they've just got a picture of Hurley from Lost. Yeah, or the actor, what's his name, Garcia, some George Garcia. Yeah, number mm-hmm. seven. Hang on, has uh, has backing vocals from Michael Cera. All right, and you clearly for me. There's also uh, on the bonus version they do a cover of Viva La Vida by Coldplay. Just better than the original. <laughs> wow, I've not heard that. So yeah, that's a little treat for you. Uh, I want to be something, which is uh, also a bonus track, is really good. It's just like a home demo of Rivers on piano. 2014. I personally think things get pretty interesting because they brought out a record called Everything Will Be All Right in the End. Mm-hmm. It was produced by Rick Okasek, who'd done Blue, and he'd done, oh, was it Green? I think he mm-hmm. did as well. Yep, yep. And for me, they sound really rejuvenated. It's really quite old school. Yep, it's got I that think, feel, hasn't it, man? Yeah, yeah, it's got a candidate for Unsung, for me. 77 out of 100 in Metacritic, one of their highest rated albums of their later part of their career. It was between this and White Album for me. Uh, some nice metal vibes in it, some really good choppy guitar, a eulogy for a rock band, I think it's a great song. Mm-hmm. You know, distorted Happy Days feel to it. That's a good record. Like, a good I, I think record, if yeah. that had been their second or third record, it would have felt quite comfortable. Yeah. I, I think I, I want to talk about this record a little bit because we should probably talk about some of the songs on it. This is a band which are feeling more like a band than it felt since Madwa. Mm-hmm. Ink on the Body is a classic Rivers Weezer riff. song I've, I've had up to here which is quoted by Justin Hawkins from Darkness and he totally he yeah. can totally tell man possibly the weakest moment on the album for me anyway and go away featuring your best pal Beth from the best coast yeah <laughs> but for me it is the future scope trilogy at the end yeah. those three songs are <laughs> fucking sensational yeah that's man. actually you know it, it's pretty ambitious but it works pretty well yeah. yeah there's so little vocals in it as well it's just it's got four guitar solos at the end like one after the other it's just like what are you doing and Weezer so Weezer are at their best they're good when it comes to brevity 
mm. they know how to not overstay their welcome. So even the songs on records that are maybe, you know, not amazing, they don't tend to drone on and on. They don't get to the point of just being a total chore. You can usually get through them. So when there are tracks that are slightly weaker than the others, they they, they, they don't tend to drag the album down. Whereas at some of the weaker stages, like uh, Make Believe, the, the bad tracks go on. Mm-hmm. And that, that acts further to the detriment of already weak albums. Uh, they found a bit of brevity and a sense of humour. They seem to get like a little bit more whimsical again. And I think teaming up with Okasek really helped him at this point. I th- certainly with Hurley, though, I do think people sense that there was a bit of the clouds starting to clear. That it was a better record than what had gone before. Mm-hmm. But it did seem that they'd finally found a groove again. What I don't get, as a musician and as a somebody that follows bands, if you're recording one decent album in five, why are you still recording? And why? who follows a band five albums into the wilderness? You know, I mean, I've... There are bands I like to have released albums that I'm like, oh, that's not the best. And frankly, Weezer probably being one of them. That's probably why I didn't realise mm-hmm. it had so many records. Why are you still fucking going out and buying these records if the, the returns have diminished this far? I've never really got that. So, I mean, it's good that they've pulled an album out their ass at this point in their career. I just sort of also plagued by the question, why? Yeah. You know, I don't see the relevance. It's, you, they're stuck in a loop of this band. They're scared to move on. That's too associated with their own sense of identity. The album has, con- the, the band has consumed them as people. They're like not moving on to other projects. I just don't get it. it. It feels very bleak. Not like a, you know, live fast, die young, you know, burn out. They're fading away. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just a horrible death for bands to, to watch them just dribble away like that. I, I don't get yeah. it. And, and as decent as this record is, it's like, it just it just makes me feel kind of blue. That's our job now. That's basically what it is. Yeah. It's his job to write songs and his job to release records and tour. And how does that make you feel? I, I know. I, like, I'm not saying that's, I'm not saying that's a good answer, but that is definitely, I think that is probably the answer. And if we ever needed evidence that it's a band that needed a fucking swift mallet to the back of the skull, it's when they brought out Pacific Daydream. Uh, this is this. I think this is an interesting record in the sense that there is again they're doing things which are not weasery, and that doesn't work for them. You know, it just doesn't. So with Mark's choice is the the one after everything will be all right in the end, and the White Album, as we've already said, is third on those lists. It denotes the end of a, their second, you know, wind for the band. Hurley was okay. Everything was good. White Album is good. Then after the White Album in 2017, they bring out this record called Pacific Daydream that is an absolute aberration of a a hugely slickly produced pop record Mm -hmm. that is as good Charlotte as it is, I don't know, like Jessica Simpson, maybe? It's got stuff like that in it. I mean, Weezer's almost putting himself in the shop window as a committee writer for stuff like Carly Rae Jepsen, which he loves. Mm -hmm. But the album is insufferably bad. Yes, it's not it's a horrendous at all. Like really horrendous. It's, it feels like a midlife crisis as well. I like feels like summer on this record. It is a proper pop song, though it's not a Weezer song, and it's definitely a Rivers going. I can write these big pop songs as well, which you're hearing on the radio. But 
it was written by him and five other people. Yeah, I mean, he can write those, but they're like, shit, so why bother? The weird, yeah. the weird thing for me is, you know, you're talking about, like, their legacy as a band. He's obviously not somebody that gives a fuck about his legacy in terms of, you know, how tidy it looks. And it's also, uh, it's a weird thing with, like, maybe the branding. I think maybe if he'd gone off and done solo stuff properly as a pop thing or done some sort of ironic pop thing where he like branded it yeah that's what it was going to be absolutely and he could get away with it but the fact that it falls under the weezer banner and people are used to bands having some sort of continual artistic theme then it just seems really confusing he's a big collaboration guy why didn't he team up for like an ep with carly ray jepson or something why not do something like that like why not just get it the fuck away segregate it from, from this so that i don't have it in my playlist and yeah. I don't have to do it for this podcast yeah and I don't have to go and see it live if I'm going to see Weezer or whatever yeah, yeah. exactly this this year they teased a, a new album called The Black Album for a long time mm-hmm. but they preempted it with an album called The Teal Album which is uh, fine an album of covers it's, I mean I, I was saying I was, I was thinking about this earlier on right it's your dad's wedding band playing good versions of good songs. I mean, Weezer love covers and they're yeah. good at covers, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's... If, I mean, it's, it's, what, it's completely, there's no need for it to exist. There is, because it's not even like interesting songs or yeah. anything. It's just like wedding classics. They're not doing no scrubs in that. Yeah, that's actually really good. <laughs> that's actually yeah. that's like the most original sounding cover on it because Rivers doesn't do any rapping on it, even though he does rap as we've heard oh, God, some songs. Yeah. And we will talk about that on the next record, Black Album, where he also raps. Yeah, like there is. I'm glad Teal Album exists because it's it's Weezer kind of gone. Or Rivers even gone. I really don't care anymore. I do whatever the fuck I want and we're, it doesn't matter it just doesn't matter we're pretty far yeah. out to see you yeah it's like who the fuck like nobody well, cares you know I actually I was getting a coffee earlier and Electric Light, or- Electric Light Orchestra Mr Blue Sky was on And I was like, fuck, Weezer just sound like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Weezer are just a classic pop rock band, like, going, like, way back. That's like, a, that sort of lineage. That's a very good example, actually, because there is stuff on White Album where the piano appears more that, that really mm-hmm. reminds me. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed that as well so Mark you've already raised the issue the Black Album the Black Album which came out in March of this year yeah now I hear 
we're on the cutting edge here now, I guess. Um, oh my god. This is uh, like this. Forecast still reviewing it. Yep. Pitch forecast. 5.7. God, that's, that's actually a, pretty high for that. I mean, it's fucking terrible. It, I think. Uh, High as a kite is a good song on it. Is the good song on the record? I, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a good song. It's the good song on the record for Lindy me. Lindy Teske from Consequence of Sound noted that the album is. Not completely void of redeeming qualities, and I mean, I suppose that's as I would, good I would, as you're going to I would agree with that because it's got a good cover. Yeah, that is it. The cover in this album is as good as the cover on Hurley is bad. <laughs> oh, you mean the actual album cover? Yeah, not yeah. the album the, of the, covers the, that they the, did the previously. On the cover is good. Yeah, it has um, covered in black paint. Yeah. It looks actually quite good. Yeah, We've yeah, spoken yeah. about uh, how Rivers likes to rap, and he has done it in a few songs. And there's two <laughs> songs in this record which he, which is graces with his flow. Can't knock the hustle, which is kind of a kind of a half a rap, it and sucks. then California Snow, which is. Properly fucking rapping And it's just like It's a single as well It was like released Before they even knew That was coming out It was I think it was on a soundtrack For a film And it's also got Byzantine, which I wanted to like so much because I love Rivers Cuomo. I love Laura Jane Grace and it's just shite. <laughs> it's just a really crap song. I was like, fuck, it could have been so good, but it's just not. Sorry to interrupt your broadcasted, podcasted, podcasted, podcasted listening. They say broadcasted. Broadcasted. <laughs> Broadcasting. Only for uh, people that love the Queen and the Union. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm very jealous today because David just showed me his pants made of sriracha. Yeah, they've got um, sriracha all over. They're not made of sriracha. Would, I'm not walking around. <laughs> That'd be brave. With sticky hot sauce on my boss. That we know of. Yeah, so I really need, I need, I need some money. We all need money for sriracha boxers. Not made out of sriracha, but boxers that have sriracha on them. Uh, no, but on a serious note, um, we just found out that our headphone amp is actually broke. I managed to fix it by smashing it off the table, which seems to have worked <laughs> in the short term. Although the, all the money you give to us actually goes towards improving the podcast. And, um, so if you could give anything that would be really appreciated, you can do that at www.unsongpod.net. You can even set up a donation there. So all you need to do is click the button. You can set it up to come out of your bank account every month. Um, like somebody did recently Mr David Muir Who's going to give us a pound every month And that's enough You know that's fucking 12 quid a year That we did not have before And it does go towards making this podcast better So David just some man Thank you for setting up a recurring donation Thank you a lot And anybody can do that So just go to unsungpod.net Forward slash donate Easy
Yeah. So uh, that's their back catalogue. Mark, uh, White Album? The White Album, yeah. So it feels as though the, the, the omission is now glaring. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've definitely stroked off a few albums that it can't be because yeah. we've noted the, the, sh- the shit ones. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. This is the best Weezer album that's not the first two records, <laughs> in my opinion. And no, I would, I would um, always say the Green album is the best Weezer album yeah. that wasn't the first two records. I I think this is on par with that personally. Um but it's a different band. Well, I don't really know where to start with this, right? Um I wasn't expecting something like this because I thought everything will be alright in the end was, was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But uh, being ride or die for Weezer, the capacity of them to fall off a cliff in the next record is fucking like <laughs> huge, right? So I was like oh I was like, fuck, this is actually quite a good record. Shit, okay, I'm sure the next one's gonna be garbage. And this one came out and it was it's short, it's to the point, it's it's cheerful, it's got a Beach Boys vibe, which they've not really explored that much. It's yep. very 60s feeling. It is, it's got a lot of piano as yeah. well, which I think contributes. And that, that really helps, gives it a lot of texture, which a lot of other records don't have. Particularly the poppier rock songs and other records kind of tend to not have that on it. So that it was it was quite different to me straight away. And it has, I think, their strongest run of songs on it as well, since since probably the Green Album. I mean, I'm, I'm going to let you say that without nodding, and I'm deliberately not nodding because I disagree, but I don't want to just constantly disagree. <laughs> I just don't think it's a good album. I think it's fine. I think I think it's... Uh, I, w- I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. It does have good tracks on it, but I mean, I was suffering severe... Fatigue. Weezer fatigue. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's only so fucking much you can yeah. put up with. Yeah. Um, Even I, as a Weezer fan, listened to them so much this week that I'm like, no. But you did kind of no. nail it earlier. Like, they now just sound like one of the bands that they influenced. Yeah. And I thought that the best thing you could say about this record was it's a really good band that sound like Weezer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's one basically of the, what they are now. One of the things that set Weezer aside, and I, I don't know if people maybe take it for granted, but is just how good... River Como's voice is and how mm. much personality he has in his voice and if you listen back to the first four albums really there's so much detail and so much personality in there and at different points since then I mentioned this earlier they've been produced they've been multi-tracked there's been a lot of what sounds like a wee hint of autotune and it's stripped a lot of the character out of his voice and you no longer feel like it's a personal experience uh, you no longer feel with Rivers and that was kind mm-hmm. of the appeal of Weezer there was mm-hmm. a fragility but he's also got a really good yeah they, were, con- they always wit- seemed like an outsider band and that you know, they were like the classification of geek rock. Yeah. And, and like, if you were a bit of a loner or an outsider, you'd be like, oh, I'll, I'll listen to Weezer and I can understand and blah, blah, blah. And you know that way where you can hear someone you know or someone you care about's voice across the room. So yeah. you're, in, you're in a room of people chatting, but if there's a voice you know, especially if it's someone you like, mm-hmm. it just always stands out. And there's something about Rivers Cuomo's voice if you grew up with those first two, three, four albums where that voice could cut through other people's voices because it was something special about mm-hmm. it and something really personal and nice. And I think that's been lost in a lot of the records since. I don't think it's there as much on the White Album. I think it's there a bit mm. more so than others, but I don't think it's there the way it should be because I think that's one of their strongest features, albeit maybe one of their most overlooked features as a band. I think um, as someone that's, that's followed other albums, I'm one of those guys that's like listened to every record when it's come out. Yeah. Like that aspect of what you're talking about, Chris, with the voice being so like but the personality, 
that that is de- you're right. That's definitely gone. But I think I've just grown used to it over the years. That has been like fucking ten, fifteen years. You know, like, and I've grown used to the fact that his voice is a lot less expressionless than it used to be. You know, it's weird though because you're trying to work out what is it about this that I'm not digging because I found that listening to these I was like well that sounds like a Weezer song and mm-hmm. that's a chorus and I kept thinking to myself oh is, is that better than you know in the garage is that like note for note actually is and I was like well why am I not liking it as much and I think a big reason that I wasn't liking it as much is because it didn't feel like them and one of the reasons it didn't feel like them was because it was the, the personality had been compressed out of it, I think. There was there was a fair bit of that in it. I think working with Rick Okasek brought a bit of that back into it for a while. Mm. And there are moments on far worse albums where his voice shines through again. And actually quite often on some of the quieter songs, on the acoustic songs, mm-hmm. he gets a chance to sound like Rivers again. And even if the songs aren't great, you're like, oh, that's, that's nice, it's him again. Mm. I, I just think that's something that's been stripped out. And I, I, I noticed a lot of people really like California Kids in this, the opening track. That seemed to get a lot of like really positive. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's the. It surprised me when I listened to it. I was like, "Oh, this is actually quite a nice melancholy track." I like the chorus. Yeah, the woo, the um, woo, but it's got that really sixties yeah, yeah. thing. And I so, think when it, whenever they dabble in surf, it seems to work. I mean, really. a little bit about this record. It is supposed to be a beach record. It's supposed to be a, a summertime album. Mm-hmm. He even said at one point that it's like the first concept album since Pink, Pinkerton. And, you know, it's basically a California Beach Boys tribute, him trying to do it. And also him being on Tinder and trying to meet last season. Like yeah. Well, no, the Tinder thing, though, he, he did. He said that he used that just as a kind of writing tool, that he made it clear to everybody he wasn't on Tinder. Yeah, pool, yeah, he was yeah. using it just to sort of get yeah. characters for the different songs. Yeah, because he was just like it. looking at the, the, the folk on... God, I remember Tinder, yeah. yeah. Fucking hell, yeah. Looking at their little profiles and just using them as bases yeah, of Yeah, he said, he said he got chatting to people and he used it like he would be really upfront. he'd say like I'm doing a, a record I'm using this to pick up characters for the songs mm. and just ask them a bit about themselves and then he used them as the subjects of the tunes themselves yeah I think that me- that sort of melan- melancholic sort of emptiness of like online dating apps is like the e- like I think that's reflected in this record yeah it's a very modern phenomenon know? it's yeah. an interesting thing to approach mm-hmm. even if there is a hint of like yeah I bet you got a couple of sneaky shags <laughs> <laughs> your dog wind in their sail let's try to save their soul the piano we start one I, th- I thought it was a bit generic a wee, wee bit emo by numbers well the back cool, vocal's really good now it's like co-written it. by the guy from All American Rejects yep. and you that. can kind of I, no. I was like oh yeah I can totally that does see make that sense now. the other two guys from All, All American Rejects because two of the guys co-wrote one of the songs on Ratitude and it was the other two guys from All American Rejects that wrote, co-wrote this song but I mean it's really it's weird that Rivers is getting in a band that is his children are coming back, back to, to teach the, the teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually hits on the key thing that I think I like about this record is like, I think for a long time he's been putting in different different songwriters to collaborate with in order to try and bring back that Weezer magic, which he's lost through age and time. Yeah. And I think this is the closest that he gets to it. Yeah, I mean, it is record. important to bear in mind that he's like 46 now. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not like he's I'm, a teenager. I, I think it would probably be quite good if Rivers actually wrote a record that Rivers, the man now, sounded like. <laughs> we'll never get that though. There's actually a track in this is the Ellie Girls where he, he talks about you should act your age. 
Bear yeah. in mind that he's a yeah. 46-year-old yeah. man talking about girls well, at the beach. I mean, thank God for girls. Uh, I mean, this would appear to be a rap rock yeah. song. This song reminds me of Good Charlotte. I did not like that song. No, it's uh, did not it's ironic it. in the sense that he released it with that title, so people would actually listen to it because it's not about girls in that way. Because obviously it's like a pure gender flip thing, and I think it's quite interesting. The video was fucking weird as well. It's just a guy eating on as a cannoli. <laughs> fucking bizarre. Um, yeah, it feels all production. No tune that that yeah. song. There's something gaunt about it. Um, girl, we got a good thing. Very Beach Boys song. Very Beach Boysy. It's also got the weirdest lyric that I think one of the weirdest lyrics ever is like, you scare me like an open window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck does that even mean, man? Um, I thought it sounded like OK Go, which is a, another band that they have heavily yeah, influenced. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's th- actually a River's only song as well, which is yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's a tune that I think is an especially good example of his personality being squeezed out of the, the mm-hmm. vocal. I yeah. think it's really... Uh, it it becomes very unremarkable mm. as a result of the way it's been produced. Do you want to get high? Is your favourite? You said there. One of my favourites, it's not my favourite. We'll, I think it's, we'll talk about that. That's got the kernel of an old Weezer tune. Yeah, I, I totally. think it's a bit heavier, it's a bit darker, yeah. it's a bit more Pinkerton. The only thing is it never hits with a melodic payoff that they would have back then. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it could and I it sounds like... deliberate actually. I feel that's a deliberate choice. Why would you write a deliberately because, inferior song? Because they've done, they do that a lot. On, I mean, it does that on We Are All On Drugs as well. I think that's, I think this is an attempt to subvert what people expect from a Weezer song. Yeah, but that's stupid. But he can do whatever the fuck he wants now, man. We've, he's proven that time and time like, again. It doesn't I know, really I know what we should release, guys. We should release a song that sounds like it's going to be a good Weezer song and then isn't. I think it's a good Weezer fuck song. fuck those guys. I think it's a good Weezer song. I think it works. You're right, though. It doesn't It doesn't quite pay off in the way that a lot of the no, big Weezer really songs doesn't. do. But uh, I like it for that, for that reason. King of the World, number six. Uh, a bit more retro again um, but I quite like that I quite like yeah. the chorus I, I feel the chorus is yeah. really limp in that I feel like it's flopped out I like it I, my personal favourite chorus in the record is Summer Elaine and Drunk Dory fucking best Weezer song in the past 15 years No fucking question. Really good song. So good. Really good chorus. I was like so glad because I'd listened to fuck that seven tracks to that six tracks up to that point, and I was just like, man, they are not hitting any melodic payoffs in this record. It's like it's it's going in the right direction, and it's just never tipping into like that beautiful like chorus of like crab or pink triangle or something like that. It's never getting over the the, the summit and. Then they finally did it on track seven. Did you listen record. to this, the song Exploder episode where he, talk, he explains this song? No. It's really, really interesting. Um, 
So the song is actually like the the verse of the song is actually like almost too low for him to sing because he's only got a two octave vocal range. That's mental. So like when he wrote it, he was like, I don't actually know if I can sing this. Mm-hmm. And then it's also got a key change in the chorus, which he also struggled to sing, which is why he goes up to all that kind of head voice, almost full settle. We've not spoken about this, but it's probably a good time to bring this in. Is a lot of the time, I think for the past probably 10 years, like he's writing lyrics from spreadsheets of cool lines. Yeah, he's got a really, really odd system. I know other people that have used that system mm-hmm. as well, sometimes breaking it right down to the individual words. Like, yeah, like the, like the meter and all that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really, really sterile way to do lyrics. But this goes, this goes back to what he did in Harvard between Pinkerton and the Green Album. I don't know if you know this story, but he wrote what he calls a Bible of Pop and he basically just like analysed Oasis Green Day and um, Nirvana yeah, songs that's right, and yeah. broke pop song and down those most fundamental elements and that's the blueprint he's been following ever since and you can hear it throughout the entire catalogue I think that's why Weezer from Green Onwards sound like a completely different band because he's approaching it in a almost like a scientist and this is when it all comes together I think there's lots of songs there's so many songs where he's done this right obviously but this is where that approach actually pays off and I mean come on you're thinking about maybe one in 60 yeah it's weird that it maybe took us then you know, this long in the podcast to get to what seems like a core issue that that's a very sterile approach mm-hmm. to songwriting. There's nothing spontaneous or really, you know, it, it doesn't feel very cathartic, that process. And as a result, when you're looking at Weezer, you're like, why am I struggling to get the emotional click that I got with that earlier stuff? It's, it's very intangible quality, but maybe that's why. Maybe it's because, you know, subconsciously you are able to detect that there's something quite calculated about this. Do you know what underscores that as well? One of the best things about Pinkerton that's got a lot of good things is the fact they all recorded the vocals in the in the, in the room at the same time. That includes like the ad libs and stuff like that, which is happening in Scorching and stuff like that. Yeah. That is now Weezer practice. They don't record together in a room anymore, they record separately. And then Brian and Scott and Patrick will go in afterwards and add in backing vocals and ad libs. Do you want to get high? Starts with cue the feedback, cue the feedback. It's trying to bring an organic feel and it was clearly a very inorganic process at this point. Yeah, man, it's, it's pretty weird. I'm kind of getting put off the more we talk about it. <laughs> um, Ellie Girls is the one I said, you know, a 50-year-old telling young women to act their age. Or 46-year-old, sorry. Brian Bell's a co-writer on that one as well, which is the first time I think he's been a co-writer on a song since the Red Album. Yeah, that stinking grunge song on the Red Album that he did. My only note on that song is, I am so tired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The song's got a really blue feel to it. It does, And the chorus is pretty good. At least his voice has a bit of personality in that one as well. I think that's Brian Bell that's bringing in that blue vibe because he was on on that record. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jacked up. Loads of piano in that one. A low point for me, I think. Feels like the least Weezer song mm-hmm. on there. It's it's just a totally different band it's, to me. Yeah, it's co-produced by a Bristol DJ called Red Light. Red Light, yeah. That's, um, weird. That's weird. And yeah, Why? And it, I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like this sort of weird Chili Gonzalez electro type thing. And yeah. it's like, uh, this isn't Weezer. This is, yeah. Oh, you're not, doing that yeah. thing again it's where like you call them Weezer. 
Queezer. I forgot about that. You did that in the Christmas thing as well, and it fucking drove me up the wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, sorry. Oh, sorry. Fuck. Let's finish this. Like, well, let's get finished so he doesn't get an opportunity to say it again. And I'll put another beer for we do that. Thanks. Endless bummer. Endless bummer. Um, you, you you hate so, it. So many puns. You hate it. Uh, I I I think it's likable. It's got a nice vocal harmony in it. But I do yeah. think that a fifth, like a I keep saying fifty year old, a forty six year old singing about nineteen year olds is a bit. Mm. And um, I, I think mean, it's, it's, it's pleasant. calculatedly it's just, catchy. It's calculatedly catchy. Weezer. It's, it's, it's pretty unremarkable though. If they're calculating, like they're just not aiming very high. I think it sounded a lot like Jimmy Eat World. Like yeah, it's the got hey, that hey. sort of yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of melancholy emo-y bit to it, but I, I mean, again, I just, I, I just think it's, it's a close approximation of a good Weezer album. I don't think it is a particularly good Weezer album. People who are fans of Weezer who only like the first two records, but have somehow come on this whole journey, like I have, probably say the same thing all the time. Fucking hell! By the way, hats off to you. You are determined because I would have and, and did jump off the fucking train a long time. Yeah, ago. even like my pal Craig fucking loves Weezer. And uh, I was like, oh, what's your opinion on the White Album? And he was like, oh, d- I didn't even know they had a White Album. Yeah. <laughs> I, g- I gave up a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, so like they've, be- like they have shed fans massively and it's like they've tried to get rid of followers. I mean, they're, they're just, they're really odd. They are very idiosyncratic in their own way. Even as, as M.O.R. as it sometimes sounds, they're very strange folk. And I think that probably really emanates from Rivers being quite strange. That's what keeps me coming back to them man it's like they are I think they're interesting and Rivers is mysterious enough that I always want to know what's going to do next even if that next thing is, is rubbish and I, th- I don't know why that is I don't know why it's it is like an abusive relationship I keep coming back and I know <laughs> it's not going to end well but I saw we should, we should have an intervention yeah <laughs> I know possibly <laughs> um, I, d- I, d- I don't I don't think it's a bad record and there's some good songs on it but I think there are too many songs that I don't really like for me to go this is un- I can, I, and I can see that it's Weezer fans are maybe just like thank fuck it's not a terrible record yeah exactly yeah and so therefore maybe put it higher up the list whereas I yeah Maladroit, Maladroit I would say it's a far better record yeah, and I it agree. sounds like a Weezer record and although to Weezer fans it's maybe not unsung I think overall it would probably be my choice if we had to choose a Weezer record yeah um, I, I, I'm very very aware that having watched and read all those lists listicles mm-hmm. that a lot of people rate White Albums so I am open to the, the, the notion that I'm just not getting it but I'm definitely not getting it and I was willing to get it and I did get it with everything to some extent and I certainly got it with the, the first four records um, and dip, like pork and beans dipping in and out of the catalogue there are some good moments but I can honestly say I won't listen to that again and that's with no malice at all I'm not trying to prove any points I just there was nothing on the White Album that made me want to listen to it again but having seen how warmly it's been received by other folks you probably are onto something Mark so I'm kind of on the fence I don't have an objection so I'd, I'm probably going to if it's alright I'm going to abdicate a vote in this one because mm. I feel like I'm possibly wrong but I'm just not clicking at all yeah, I, I think it's maybe different if you are a Weezer fan or if you're just a music fan because I feel like this album is a relief to Weezer fans and they'll take it and go, thank fuck, 
you know, it's it's not a rotter. Yeah, they definitely do. Um, I can attest yeah. to that. Yeah, exactly. So in that way, I'm happy to put it in to appease Weezer fans who have been through a f- hell of a lot and deserve sympathy. Um, <laughs> whereas, you know, for non-Weezer fans, I'd be like, oh no, you just do you much can't better it. than that. You can't just, have it. just stick to the first four records yeah. and forget about the rest. Oh, Mark, you, you get it in. By well, a, maybe. By us anyway. One maybe. and a half there. Yeah, one and a half. I think, yeah, um, I, I like I mean, it. How many people that fucking like listen to this are going to vote and vice versa? Because yeah. you're just going to have people like saying, no, it should have been the early ones. Yeah, yeah, You've got to get to this fucking point of a valid opinion, guys. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> I think I know, we should we should maybe introduce a code to the voting <laughs> and then we give you the code right now. <laughs> a pin. Yeah. Um, a pin number, yeah. But I, as things have changed, we now do the Nexus. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed dot com slash podcast need to hire you need indeed the end of the record yeah let's, the let's do the so nexus we should do the nexus i got one so what was the oh, hang on we're gonna we're gonna play that nexus music So, um, well, if you missed the news, we no longer next Dave Grohl. We no uh, longer because he's cancelled. He's cancelled. He's cancelled. Um, so technically cancelled. We're I basically mean, not taking, officially cancelled. We're taking uh, suggestions, and each week we'll get to a different person. And we've got a second suggestion from our good friend Ben Power. Ben Power chose Dionysus. Uh, Greek god of wine, yeah. amongst other things, including uh, ritual madness, religious ecstasy, and theatre, which is great. Um, so, really good choice. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> so let's get uh, Weezer to that guy, uh, Mark. It was yours, so you go first. Yeah, I've actually started coming up with another one. Do you want to do yours? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Weezer song "Other Way." It was written for a woman called Jennifer Chiba, who's Rivers Cuomo's ex-girlfriend, but who was also uh, the widow of Elliot Smith, uh, who committed suicide in 2003. Rivers wrote this song, although he says he questioned his own motives for writing it. But anyway, blah, blah, blah. It was meant to somehow address that and her situation. I 
journalist called Alexis Petridis, who is the head of uh, music at The Guardian, wrote a fairly famous article uh, for The Guardian about the fact that Elliot Smith was possibly murdered and sort of here and there drops hints that it may have been the result of a domestic dispute that um, Jennifer Chiba admits was going on moments before Elliot Smith stabbed himself to death. And there were kind of other circumstantial aspects like cut marks in his hands that they said looked like defensive wounds, but, you know, he had, there was supposedly a suicide note. That's a nice cheery nexus. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's some there's some dispute, but I, I don't know if I buy into it, but, you know. Petridis, Alexis Petridis, uh, the journalist, uh, also took part in a really quite notorious interview with one Marilyn Manson. Uh, and during that interview, uh, Marilyn Manson pulled out a fake gun that he held to Petridis' head, uh, flicked his testes in some manner and uh, challenged them to some form of wrestling. Um, and it kind of went viral, this stupid interview. Uh, Marilyn Manson obviously took his second name from Charles Manson. And Charles Manson was involved in the Helter Skelter movement. And the Helter Skelter movement is seen as being the prime example of what they call a modern uh, Bacchanalian cult, uh, which includes blood offerings, mm. orgies, Timothy Leary once described Woodstock also as a bit of a, a Bacchic uh, ritual from the kind of orgiastic indulgence side of it. But in the darker side of it, uh, apparently in, uh, uh, historically, Bacchanalian events would tear animals apart live and then eat them while they were still warm and raw. Uh, they also focused around women being servile. Uh, and the whole thing was generally seen as being subversive in counterculture. Well, Bacchus, the god Bacchus, is the Roman appropriation of the Greek god Dionysus. Well, there you are. Excellent. Educational. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mark? Okay. I, have, I have mine now. Sorry, guys. Sorry for that. Fresh. Fresh off the fucking internet. internet. Um, so, Rivers Cuomo, I have mentioned earlier on that um, Michael Serra plays some ukulele and does backing vocals on the song Hang On on Hurley. Michael Serra is on the TV show. Arrested Development, which is where he got his, uh, his big break from. And Arrested Development's also a very good actor by the name of Will Arnett, who plays Job, George Oscar, Michael Bliss, who is a magician. And he is also the lead actor in Bojack Horseman, which is also a really good show. Very good. Yep. And uh, Herb Kazaz, the character in Bojack Horseman, is played by Stanley Tucci, who played Dionysus. Tucci. Tucci. Played Dionysus in... Percy Jackson and the Olympians. I didn't know that. Oh, goodness. Cool. Well done. That was quick. Yeah. yeah. I, started uh, it before we, I started it before we began, but I didn't have time to finish it because I was uh, talking too much. Lordy. Uh, Weezer released their first seven records on Geffen. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Geffen's is record Dionysus label. Dionysus the God of <laughs> Yeah, David Geffen is... Dionysus, basically. Uh, David Geffen is a huge art collector. Um, spends hundreds of millions of pounds on uh, art. So, you know, grunge. Now, on November 3rd, 2006, Geffen sold uh, Jackson Pollock's 1948 painting number five uh, for $140 million. Mm. Holy fuck. Um, and that made 1948, number five, 1948, the most expensive painting ever sold which had previously uh, belonged to Portrait of Adele Blocher-Bauer by Gustav Klimt, mm-hmm. uh, which was sold for $134 million. One of Klimt's most famous paintings is The, the Kiss. Kiss. Yeah. Beautiful painting. Beautiful painting, really, really nice. 
another beautiful painting called The Kiss was painted by um, Edvard Munch, also known for The Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, that was painted in, in 1897, which I think was about 10 years before uh, Klimt's Kiss. Edvard Munch, very interesting Norwegian painter, and he's uh, got a really nice <laughs> portrait of uh, Nietzsche uh, that he did in 1906. Um, uh, yeah. Really captures the tash beautifully. Because that's pre or post syphilis. <laughs> um, I, maybe during the syphilis years, actually. But uh, Nietzsche just looks like he's being thoughtful and a nice yellow background. Yeah, Nietzsche wrote a lot about Dionysus. Yeah, Dionysus was referred to as the the embodiment of the will to power. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you are, just a little bit it's of very philosophy good. there. I was... I was, I sorry, I was just getting a little bit of cramp there at the same time. I was brain distracted. Cramp. <laughs> Philosophy cramp. <laughs> I would have put money that you were going to go down the Kierkegaard route. Uh, no, I try and avoid Kierkegaard at all times. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, that was very highbrow. Yeah, that it truly was. Yeah, it was. Uh, you, you've really brought this back from the brink there, David. <laughs> <laughs> so, all that uh, leaves us is to prepare the listeners for what we have next week, which is we're going to take another little foray in a unusual territory with a mixtape. It's been a while. Yeah. What was the last mixtape we did? Black Metal. Oh, Black Metal, of course. Yeah, yeah. So well, it's like a two-parter as well. This is, three-parter, actually. It was an odyssey. Yeah, this is one we've been teasing for a while and we're probably going to do a few of these. So we've broken it down by sort of subcategory. Yeah. Do you want to introduce it? Yeah, so we will be talking about our favourite soundtrack albums but not just soundtrack albums they will be soundtrack albums to box office flops <laughs> i love it so yeah. <laughs> it took us a while to decide on the subcategory that allowed us to do the ones we'd already decided <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> but i mean this will allow us to talk about the films in question yeah how shit they are Haggle over where what? they were over yeah. you know overrated what counts uh, as a flop yeah and if anybody says water world you're getting thrown out the window because it wasn't a flop it wasn't a flop yeah. and I can't, I can't remember what the soundtrack was, though. but um, yeah, so this could include uh, scores or it just could include, uh, you know, official soundtracks. OSTs, yeah. Um, be good fun. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. That'll be great, yeah. Uh, I'm to, to see it. what the guys um, choose. The week after that, we'll recommence with the, the Nexus. So please keep suggestions coming in for Nexus folks. It can be real, it can be fictional, there are no constraints. Uh, the challenge is for us to to make the connection. They just can't be Dave Grohl or Jack Black, the person that said Jack Black. <laughs> Fuck's sake, have you listened to nothing? <laughs> okay. All uh, right, well, uh, yeah, thanks for that. Cheers, guys. Oh, I just can't wait to not listen to Weezer. <laughs> 